This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, May 11th. I'm Matt Hoish. And I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, local governments greenlight Sunnyside details. Council allows partial roof on transfer warehouse. Telluride reflects on winter car camping. And a mountain weather forecast. The town of Telluride and San Miguel County have approved recommendations for rental rates, income limits, occupancy qualifications, and the lottery process for the Sunnyside Housing Project. The Sunnyside Committee, composed of representatives from the two governments, which are partnering on the project, made the recommendations last month. The rental rates are targeting two tiers of people, earning about 70, 80, or 110 percent of area median income. There are income limits to qualify for each tier. The upper limit to qualify for the lower tier rates is 120% of AMI. The upper limit for the higher rates is 200% of AMI. Telluride Program Director Lance McDonald notes those are higher caps than on other town rental projects. But this is a reflection of, the, I think, the recognition by the committee that we need to be providing rental housing not just at the lower income levels, but actually across the whole spectrum of wage earners. And so this project is intended to provide housing opportunities to a a wide band of wage earners. McDonald spoke to Telluride Town Council at their meeting on Tuesday. He adds federal data shows wages have jumped more than anticipated in the last year, but the committee did not recommend adjusting the proposed rents as much. It still allows us to hit our revenue targets for the project. The short story on that is that the units are theoretically more affordable than we had originally planned for the project. There are also several other requirements to qualify for the housing. The committee recommended it must be the occupant's primary residence. Occupants cannot own improved residential property within San Miguel, Dolores, Ure, or Montrose counties, and they must have worked within the boundaries of the R1 school district for at least 1,400 hours in the last 12 months. Um, This is very similar to other uh, standards that we have on other projects but the uh, hours worked is higher than what we currently require at uh, Shandoga. Lawful presence is not required. The recommendation notes each household applying will automatically get one entry into the housing lottery, with additional entries given based on points for extra time spent working or living in the area. The housing lottery is slated to open on Monday, May 16th, and close on Tuesday, June 21st, with the lottery taking place on Thursday, June 30th, though those dates may change. But move-in will be staggered. The project consists of 30 units, a mix of tiny homes, townhomes, and apartments. Construction, McDonald explains, is behind schedule. We had originally planned for the project to be completed in May, with occupancy occurring in June. Uh, On the townhomes, we are going to be completed in late June or early July, with occupancy occurring in July. The apartments, unfortunately, are much later. We're looking at completing those in late September, maybe early October, but we are trying to uh, have additional crews working on the project to speed that up. One of the biggest items of discussion for both governments this week was requirements for four units set aside for government employees, two for Telluride and two for the county. Telluride Town Manager Scott Robson wants council to waive the income and residency requirements for those units. As we look at trying to fill critical public um, service positions here from a recruiting and retention standpoint, I think having some of those rules in place as we're uh, trying to get really critical positions filled 
could be really challenging for both the county and the town. Speaking to the Board of County Commissioners on Wednesday, County Manager Mike Bordonia shared similar feelings. Similar to the town, we have close to 10 vacancies still currently, and many of our applicants, even for middle and higher income wage jobs, are uh, at a deficit of housing, and this would allow us to uh, allocate that unit, even if they were slightly over the income limit, and then we could just adjust what the rent is so that it is proportional and fair. Telluride Town Council member Geneva Shawnette is against that modification. I think that we should follow our, our own rules and that these these units were built with affordable housing money, and so they should be, and we have plenty of employees who do qualify. But the rest of council is okay with the added flexibility. Here's council member Mian Fee. Conceptually, Geneva, I completely agree with you, but I think, you know, we're in, we're just in a position right now where we need to be able to get these positions filled to be able to allow the government to kind of keep working the way we need it to. On the county side, Commissioner Hillary Cooper is concerned about added flexibility that would allow the county to not completely fill units up to their occupancy requirements. I think we should absolutely be doing everything we can to respect, especially the occupancy limit. I mean, essentially, if we don't, we're taking a bedroom out of circulation for affordable housing. Bordonia stresses while the flexibility would give the county more options, they wouldn't necessarily use it. It would definitely be my highest uh, motivation to make sure that every bedroom is occupied in both of our units. Both governments gave the green light to more flexibility on filling the four government units. The BOCC unanimously approved the Sunnyside recommendations. Telluride Town Council and the Telluride Housing Authority, which is also composed of the town council members, approved the recommendations 6-0. to zero. Telluride Mayor Delaney Young was not at Tuesday's meeting. The Telluride Arts District can move forward with a partial roof on the transfer warehouse after Telluride Town Council upheld a decision by the Planning and Zoning Commission this week. At a public hearing on Tuesday, council was charged with determining if planning and zoning acted in accordance with its jurisdiction to amend a public use development for the warehouse, clarifying language that a partial roof over the structure qualifies as a roof per the town's land use code. Here's Ron Quarles, planning and building director for the town of Telluride. The intent of the change was to allow for the open uh, courtyard without a covered roof. The approval as it was granted originally on PUD identified the installation of a roof without any clarification as far as an open courtyard. So that's the intent of this change. Andrew Peters, a lawyer representing Tom Archiplay, who owns a condominium in the building adjacent to the warehouse, explained the purpose of the appeal. Now is an opportunity for uh, members of council to take a close look and decide whether in fact um, PNC applied the correct standards and based its decision on the appropriate evidence um, and whether that's, uh, that decision was proper. Peters emphasizes the aim of the appeal is not to kill the transfer warehouse project. We're asking for some reasonable standards that we think would make this project comply with the code um, and some evidence that would help set those reasonable standards. Um, but the goal is not to say this is not the right project. This is to get a project that complies with the code um, that operates in harmony with its surroundings. Peters argues noise from the transfer warehouse is loud enough that it prohibits his client from living peacefully in his home. He says the original design of the transfer warehouse changes how it functions in the neighborhood. The intent um, was to create a warm, dark shell 
that was the intent um, when it went in front of PNC before. The whole idea was to enclose this structure. And ultimately, as a result of you know, the programming during the pandemic, folks said, well, maybe it'd be a good idea um, to, to switch that up. Peter says if the warehouse had been constructed prior to the apartments, the issue would likely not have come up. If you build a bunch of buildings and don't expect it to be noisy, then you don't put in place uh, a lot of the standards that you might otherwise, if you're building, and I said this to PNC, if you're building next to an airport, you know, you might put in triple pane windows, you might put in soundproofing in your building so that, you know, when all those light school guys come by and, you know, fly their planes in the morning, it's, uh, it's not quite as annoying as it otherwise would be. Um, so the order of operations and all of this, it really matters. Um, and I can't imagine what it would cost to go through and retrofit an entire condo building now <laughs> um, to, to soundproof it. Parker argues town council impose a number of conditions on the new building. A sound study would certainly be helpful um, to help you understand what's going on out here. But based on the evidence right now, on the, the lived experience of folks there right now, we think that it's appropriate to say that if you approve this, if you say we're going to affirm PNC's decision to add conditions that say that amplified music should be prohibited, I think that's the real problem here. But Neil Cherubin, a lawyer representing the Arts District in the appeal, says the issue at hand is about the roof as a structure, not the usage of the building. He adds the management plan for the transfer warehouse allows for amplified music to occur. The very first paragraph um, states that, quote, people will gather uh, in the spectacular renovated space to enjoy lectures, parties, celebrations, music, poetry readings, and literary events, um, you know, public gatherings, and, and uh, several other. So there, there's no specific limitation to acoustic music, and the reference to parties, gatherings, and, and celebrations would indicate that, you know, again, at, at times, um, though those events would, though those events necessarily are going to be louder than a poetry reading. Following discussion with the appellant and applicant, town council did not take long to deliberate. Council member Dan Enright believes planning and zoning was in its purview to approve the amendment. I think that the issue in front of us is whether PNZ acted appropriately for the PUD amendment that was presented to them in the March 24th meeting, which is a separate issue from whether or not the noise ordinances of our town are legal and fair to surrounding neighbors. Councilmember Mian Fee agrees with Enright from a process standpoint, but acknowledges the impact of sound on the neighborhood. I love this project. I think it's absolutely gorgeous, but there is a huge difference in sound bleed when you have a partial roof versus a full roof. And I think that before PNZ had rendered their decision, we needed to have information as to what those effects were going to be. In the end, council unanimously upheld planning and zoning's decision to allow a partial roof on the transfer warehouse. Mayor Delaney Young was not in attendance of the meeting on Tuesday. Council member Geneva Shonette recused herself from the appeal based on a conflict of interest. For many, housing in the Telluride region is a desperate situation. This past winter, the town of Telluride piloted one less conventional solution to relieve local housing pressure, car camping in the town park parking lot. The temporary program provided housing for the ski season. According to a debrief of the program by town, the nine available spaces provided housing for 13 people. So most of them were single occupancy with a lot of dogs, and then a few were had double occupancy in them. 
That's Telluride Parks and Recreation Director Stephanie Jacquet discussing the program reflections with town council at their meeting this week. All staff involved, she says, consider it a success. Though she adds it would have been nice to have more time to implement the program, which was agreed to in mid-fall. It was a rush between October and November uh, when, when the direction was provided and when the first residents moved in. So we all felt a big push. Jacquet says safety was her biggest concern and the program proved safe. All the tenants, Jacquet adds, were respectful, but she notes the visibility of the RVs to the general public proved to be a challenge. As we know, there's a lot of people choosing to live in in their vehicle these days, and a lot of them come to ski here. So we had a lot of people trying to spend the night because they saw other people doing so. So it did create some additional enforcement needs by the marshal's department for overnight camping. But the largest challenge, Jacquet explains, is that it was temporary, since the area has to be free for summer use. We all knew that going into it, but um, come April 10th, these people had to find somewhere else to live. On the financial side, the program far from paid for itself at least this season. The town collected revenue of roughly $9,200. Expenses for infrastructure and operations were almost 50000 Direct costs associated with utilities, uh, janitorial, porta-potties, dumpsters, and so forth. Supply and demand for the camping matched up this year, though J.K. adds she isn't sure that would be the case if town repeated the program. I don't know if all these people would want to live the same way next winter. I, I know at least one of them that I'm familiar with is looking into alternate housing after doing a winter out there. So I'm not sure if we'll have returning folks or new folks if we do it again. Council is interested in discussing rerunning the car camping in the future and exploring other potential locations for it. Jacquet notes there could be regional discussions about alternate locations. Private property, public property, not right in town, something that could serve a more a full season or full year, multi-season approach rather than just looking at the, the winter, knowing that that filled a gap but didn't necessarily solve the problem. At least when it comes to redoing the car camping program in Town Park, staff says they'd want about two months notice to repeat it this year. There will be music later into the night in Telluride. This week, Town Council passed an ordinance to extend the curfew on amplified music. It provides that amplified sound can be played both indoors and outdoors from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. on Fridays, Saturdays, and defined holidays. Provided that sound is not plainly audible at a distance of 50 feet from the building if indoor, or 50 feet from the source if outdoors. That's Assistant Town Attorney Allie Slayton speaking before Town Council. Those defined holidays are Martin Luther King Jr. Eve, Valentine's Day, President's Day Eve, St. Patrick's Day, Cinco de Mayo, Memorial Day Eve, Juneteenth, the 4th of July, Labor Day Eve, Halloween, Veterans Day Eve, Thanksgiving, Dia de los Muertos, and New Year's Eve. The ordinance also creates a permit process for those who would like to extend music beyond the curfew on days outside of those currently allowed. Town Council passed the ordinance 5-1 to one with Councilmember Adrian Christie, the lone no vote. Mayor Zelaney Young was not in attendance at the meeting. In just about two weeks, Telluride Summer will, for all intents and purposes, kick off with the 2022 Mountain Film Festival. Earlier this week, Mountain Film announced the lineup for its 44th incarnation, the first fully in-person festival since 2019. This year's lineup includes almost 130 films, 
with roughly 30 features, over half of which are produced or directed by women, and about 100 shorts. There are 23 world premieres, including Surf Nation, which follows Chinese surfers making a bid for the first Olympic surf competition, Chasing, which tells the story of a rowing team's race across the Atlantic, and The Neighborhood Storyteller, about an impromptu classroom for girls in a Syrian refugee camp. As always, there will also be several opportunities for conversations, including coffee talks and a newly designed Minds Moving Mountains speaker series and doc talks. For the full festival schedule, head to mountainfilm.org. The 2022 Mountain Film Festival will run from Thursday, May 26th to Monday the 30th. There will also be an online edition of the festival, available from Tuesday, May 31st through Tuesday, June 2nd. To hear more about this year's Mountain Film, including conversations with some of the filmmakers, listen off the record from Tuesday, May 10th at koto.org. Colorado lawmakers have rejected an effort to ban the sale of flavored tobacco products. A Senate committee killed the bill Tuesday after several weeks of debate on the issue. Supporters pushed the ban as a way to stop teens from becoming addicted to tobacco. But Governor Jared Polis said he did not support it. Instead, Polis wants cities and towns to decide on the matter. A statewide prohibition would have also kept tens of millions in tax revenue from funding preschool programs. In other news, Democrats at the state capitol have passed a bill they say will protect elections from insider threats. The bill is partially a response to Mesa County Clerk Tina Peters being criminally charged this year for her alleged role in a security breach. Senator Steve Fenberg of Boulder says the new law will put the state's voting equipment under permanent video surveillance and lock it behind doors that can only be opened with keycards. These are best practices that businesses and governments all over the country, all over the state uh, already follow, um, and it should be no different for our election system. The bill also adds new training requirements for election workers and increases penalties for people involved in security breaches. Colorado's legislative session is ending Wednesday night, and many bills are coming down to the wire. KOTO Scott Franz has more on what lawmakers are passing in the final hours. A measure aiming to provide free lunches to school children is on its way to the governor, but it would only take effect if voters also approve it in the November election. A bill to protect against insider threats during elections has been approved, along with a new law that aims to prevent residents from having their cars illegally towed. Many bills are dying on the vine, though, including one that would have spent $2 million to purchase new cameras to scan for wildfires. Sponsors say they could not find the money in time. Things came to a halt Monday night as Republicans carried out a filibuster, but the session has picked up as it nears its end. I'm Scott Franz at the State Capitol. The U.S. Department of the Interior announced a new round of funding for water projects this week. As KUNC's Alex Hager reports, it's coming from the bipartisan infrastructure law. The money will help repair aging water systems across a region in the grips of historic drought, covering everything from canals in Wyoming, Arizona, and Nevada to a pipeline in Utah. In total, $240 million is getting allocated for improvements across 11 states. Projects in Colorado and California will also get funding for repairs. Interior Secretary Deb Holland says this will help safeguard water supplies and revitalize delivery systems. 
Conservation groups say there's an urgent need for federal spending on water projects in the region as drought is forcing users to get creative with the shrinking supply. I'm Alex Hager. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for partly cloudy skies tonight with a low around 30 degrees and patchy blowing dust. Winds could gust as high as 50 miles per hour. Thursday, expect sunny skies with a high in the mid-50s. Thursday night should be mostly clear with a low around freezing. Friday calls for sunny skies with a high around 60 degrees and wind gusts as high as 25 miles per hour. Friday night should be mostly clear with a low in the mid-30s. This has been the news for Wednesday, May 11th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, personal commentaries. Hey Coda listeners, May is Mental Health Awareness Month and there are lots of opportunities to learn more about mental health issues, care for your own wellness, and show our community support for this important topic. The cutest of these events is this Friday from 11 to 2 at Elks Park when Tri-County Health Network is partnering with the Telluride Humane Society to host a puppy therapy event. Take advantage of the calming effect of animals by cuddling some cute puppies. You can also learn about mental health resources available in our community and show your support for mental health. Who knows, you might even adopt a furry friend too. Stop by between 11 and 2 on Friday at Elks Park on Main Street in Telluride to meet some cute puppies and raise awareness for mental health. Attention parents! Do you have a child between the ages of third grade and high school? Join Bright Futures and San Miguel Resource Center for a free parenting symposium this Saturday, May 14th at Wilkinson Public Library. We will be discussing understanding feelings, communication, healthy relationships, and identity and diversity. Third through sixth grade parents are welcome to attend between 12 and two. Middle school and high school parents are welcome to attend between two and four. Please RSVP by emailing Allie Sutherland at Allie, that's A-L-L-I-E, at brightfuturesforchildren.org. Did you know if your child has yet to enter kindergarten and is attending a preschool or child care center in San Miguel County, you may be eligible for a tuition reduction. Hi, I'm Kathy with Strong Start, reminding you that in 2017, San Miguel County passed a mill levy to support and elevate early childhood education. This includes helping families cover the cost of childcare tuition. We know that raising a family is expensive. If you are interested in applying for Strong Start's financial aid program, check out our website at strongstartstrongcommunity.org. The deadline to apply is Wednesday, June 1st, so please help us spread the word. Again, that's strongstartstrongcommunity.org to apply. Tell your friends. Thanks, Kodo. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at Kodo. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.